Hello, everyone, and welcome to Integrated Rhythm, two swing dancing besties. That's just Omo Salamani and myself, Bobby White. Navigating race and the black experience in swing dancing, jazz dancing, other Afrocentric social dances. We have a very special episode. We here for Frankie Manning's birthday, for World Lindy Hop Day, we're going to talk to dancer, dance teacher, librarian, and writer Cynthia Millman. You might have recognized her name because it's on the cover of Frankie Manning's autobiography, Frankie Manning, Ambassador of Lindy Hop, written by Frankie Manning and Cynthia Millman. Before we get there, though, we want to remind you that we have an email address. That's right. Integrated Rhythm has an email address, and that's not for you to send hate mail to. That's not what we're going for. What we are going for is for you to send questions that you want us to ask and answer on the podcast. Also, you can make those anonymous. so You don't have to put your name on them. Uh, we want to hear responses to some of the questions we've asked in some of the podcasts and in general, uh, how you're feeling about the show. Maybe you've got some compliments. Maybe you've got some critiques. Maybe you've got some ideas for possible things we could do or things, directions that we can go in. We would love to hear them. So that address is intrhythm at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-R-H-Y-T-H-M at gmail.com. Finally, this once again is Baron Ryan playing this music for us. That's Laurel Ryan's awesome, talented brother. You can check out this project, learn more about it at firstofitskind.net. That's firstofitskind.net. Or you can just Google Baron Ryan music and I'm sure you can get there. All right, let's get on with the interview. here with Cynthia Millman, co-author of Frankie Manning, Ambassador of Lindy Hop. Uh, her other co-author being Frankie Manning, Ambassador <laughs> of Lindy Hop. Uh, Cynthia, would you tell us about the time you first met Frankie? Yes, I would be happy to. And it's a very clear memory. So back in the days, um, and I was trying to get some of the numbers together. So I think I started around 84 and so this is mid 80s there were really only two places to go swing dancing in new york city i know that you wanted to hear a little bit about back then so that's like one thing so it was either the cat club with the new york swing dance society um, i had been going up to wells in harlem the year before the swing dance society started but the wells uh, had stopped and the swing dance society uh, tried to pick up because of that Hello, listeners. Cynthia wanted to correct the statement. When she mentioned the club Wells, she actually meant the club Small's Paradise. So I was doing that on Sunday nights. And then on Wednesday nights, there was the North River Bar in Soho. And um, a musician who I've actually just been in touch with in the last couple of days named Brian Dupre uh, had a band who played there. So, you know, we'd go there. And Chisoma, you know, as a teacher, it's hard to do the late night thing when you got to get up at like six the next morning. But when you're a dedicated swing dancer, you do it. And it was really fun because it was a small venue. And uh, Brian Dupre had a lot of really cool um, jazz musicians come in and work with him. So anyway, 
someone who was on the board of the New York Swing Dance Society, Michael um, Clancy, pointed out Frankie to me and said he was one of the original Savoy Lindy Hoppers. So I was, um, I think I was, I had just finished like a master's degree at NYU in dance and dance education. And so there was a lot of stuff. I did a lot of, you know, physiology, but I had had one semester of um, dance history and we'd had a couple of texts, not one mention of the Savoy or nothing, nothing. Um, and I, you know, I'd always sought out all different kinds of dance. I, I tried to experience everything when I came to New York, you know, people were here from all over the world. Um, so I had done a little bit of um, swing dancing as part of ballroom, um, but I really didn't, I, I just barely kind of had heard of the Savoy. I really didn't know very much at all. I certainly had never heard of Whitey's Lindy Hoppers. I, I knew the word Lindy Hop, maybe jitterbug a little bit. Anyway, so he pointed out Frankie and I was watching him dance and I had this really clear thought and it was, oh, this is where it comes from. And that's because I, I realized that all the dancers, you know, like Judy Garland and Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and, 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 and even Fred Astaire, as great as he was. And, you know, I had been seeing their versions of this and I realized those were like a little out of focus and this was in perfect focus. And, um, you know, I, I used to, my, my grandfather was actually a professional tap dancer in the early 1800s. He. Hello, listeners. Cynthia wanted to correct that her grandfather was dancing in the 1900s, not the 1800s. Would you like to see a picture? I put it here in case. I'll hold it yes, up. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. It's really cool. He was, I don't know how well you can see this, but I thought this might come up. So I had it ready. He was in a group called the Six Jolly Sailors and they were self-taught and they sort of did the mid-Atlantic circuit of, you know, of dance, of uh, theaters. That's him. He's the shortest one. So, you know, when he got married, he took, um, he took a job as a laborer and, and did that for the rest of his life. But as a child, when I would visit him and stay overnight, we would watch the Lawrence Welk show, which he wanted to watch because of the tap dancers. So that was also in my head, but again, mostly white dancers as, as I recall. And I'd seen some of the older black tap dancers, but, but this was the moment that it was like, this dance that I'm doing, this is not Frankie himself per se, but his generation and where he came from, this is, what, this is where it came from. And again, those words, oh, it's in focus now, were in my mind. Um, so um, someone introduced me. There was uh, another person from the board there named Gabby Winkle who knew Frankie and he kind of came over and started chatting with us. And um, I chatted with him a little. He was very nice and friendly and like he was to everybody. And we didn't talk about much, but just, you know, said hello a little bit. And then I got to know him better. I, I'm trying to think of the, I did an article for a small newspaper about swing dancing and I interviewed him for that. And it became kind of clear from that, we didn't talk that long, but that he remembered a lot of stuff and he really uh, could speak about his experiences in a really 
a very lucid way and a very um, uh, you know descriptive way. And so eventually I did a master's thesis um, about materials on swing dancing in the library. That was part of my library degree. I interviewed him more for that. And you know, it just became more and more clear that he kind of had a lot to talk about. Um, and then after, when I was in the Big Apple Lindy Hoppers, afterwards, we would always all go out. And um, we had this game we played. Um, it was, we called the categories and somebody would have a category and everybody would tell a story. So the first one was brushes with the law and everybody would go around and tell their story. And Frankie told the one that's in the book about um, stealing a toy from Woolworths and being brought downstairs, uh, you know, begging the manager, please don't tell my mother, <laughs> I'll do anything and being brought downstairs to clean up and, you know, doing such a good job. And then in the end, the guy, uh, I guess, liked him so much, he sent him off with, I think, a box of candy for his mother. <laughs> so anyway, that that is my first interactions with Frankie. Uh, did you get a chance to meet any of the other whiteys around that time? Yeah, we were really lucky. I mean, quite a lot of those people from that generation were still alive at that time. Um, I, 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 there was a group before I was in the Lindy Hoppers and got to know Frankie. Um, I know he took a group of them to see Ella Fitzgerald and brought them backstage to meet her. Uh, yeah, I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, and, you know, I, we did meet some people from him. I was, we were, you know, all of the whole group was going out and going to all kinds of events. I know I, he did introduce me to Cab Calloway once, which is cool. Pretty amazing. And also to Pegleg Bates, which was uh, also really cool. He was a uh, cab, you know, we didn't talk much, but Pegleg Bates was chatty to our group, which was really interesting. Um, but yeah, and in those days, quite a lot of them were still alive. And what would happen is that some of the New York Swing Dance Society events, they would be invited and um, people, often Bob Kreese arranged these and sometimes Terry Monaghan worked on these. Um, at a later event, I helped with arranging the transportation, but it was mostly Bob and Terry, I think that were really reaching out and getting the names. And so we would know who to call. So we would arrange for their transportation and um, it might be for one of Frankie's birthdays or a another event. So I know that, um, let's see, I met Eunice, no, I met El, Elnor Dyson. I spoke to her a little bit, um, not at the, not just at an event, but otherwise. And I did speak with Eleanor Stumpy Watson. Um, she was delightful and I can tell you about that in a minute, but let's see, I know that Frankie's partner, one of the kangaroo dancers, not Ann Johnson, but right now I'm just, I, if I can just look in the book, I can give you the name of the other person because she's in a picture. Um, Helen Daniels, what was there? And let me think who else. Um, you know, there might be a, a footnotes, which was the New York Swing Dance Society newsletter that has some of those people in it. And at one point, Bob Kreese did a really cool panel discussion on the Savoy. And I think maybe some of the, those people were there. So I'd have to look them up, but, but uh, yeah. And um, uh, El El Eleanor Watson was 
so delightful. I mean, Elnora was too, but I spoke a little more with El Eleanor and I'll tell you something that was so funny. <laughs> At one point, you know, she, she, Frankie was sitting there and she looked at Frankie and she kind of started batting her eyes and she's like, Frankie, um, you didn't realize that I was in love with you back then, did you? You never knew, did you? And, and he's like, no, baby, I didn't know. <laughs> and she's going, she says, yeah, every time we danced together, every time you touched me, I was melting inside. <laughs> and it was, it was really beautiful. She was so lovely. And, um, you know, they were all really so warm to Frankie and you could see the affection that was still there after years and years. And um, yeah, and that they were, they, they, and they enjoyed coming to the events. They we tried to treat them really well. They always had special tables to sit in. Um, Ruthie Reingold, who was one of the white members of Whitey's Lindy Hoppers came to some of those and I got to interview her a little bit. So that was another name. If the names come to me, I'll I'll uh, I'll let you know. That's amazing. But we were lucky with that, definitely. So so in when you were in the um, Big Apple Indie Hoppers, that was being trained by Frankie. Is that correct? Yeah, I was really lucky. Um, so Monica Co. and Patricia McGall, uh, Pat McLaughlin started it, and by the time I came in, Pat had left. Monica was the main person, you know, running the, the Lindy Hoppers. But Frankie was there at almost every rehearsal training us. Um, as time went along, I was only in it for three years, but, you know, as the years went along, he started getting um, hired more around. And so he sort of went from being here a lot to he'd be away like three, three weekends or three midweeks of the, of the month and maybe here one weekend. So it just got to be more and more. And then he would be in harangue all of July. And he always took December off because he loved celebrating Christmas and he sent out like hundreds of cards and he wanted to shop and nothing, not even swing dancing was going to get in the way of that. <laughs> so well, that's a lovely story. Um, <laughs> so what, what was it like? What were some of the things that he would talk about when he was training you or what were some of the things that were important to him as a, as a dance trainer? Ah, that's a good question. Well, let's see. He was, um, you know, he's really patient with us, which was really great. And he, he didn't, I mean, as I think anyone who knows from reading the book, knows, he didn't really come into this counting. He wasn't used to counting out things. Um, as he said, you know, the only count I know is count basic. And he, so one of the things he tried to do was translate this into counts because a lot of the dancers needed that. And I, I do remember a, a moment like years down the line where I had this experience of like not needing the counts. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. You eliminate the middleman. It's so much more direct. <laughs> um, but you know, like everybody else, I, I needed the counting. Well, he, a lot of what he did was uh, train us in the air steps. I got to learn quite a few of them with him. And, you know, his timing was impeccable. That was, that's, you know, I'm convinced that part of why those air steps were able to develop is they were so in tune with each other and the timing. Um, and I, I, I have a sort of a slow sense of timing. I'm, I know that. So I always like dancing with him because he would, you know, he, I get pulled into the, the right timing. 
Um, you know, he was patient about going over things and over things and over things. He was, um, you know, he never made you feel bad if you weren't doing it the right way. He, I think he really believed in that making people feel comfortable and enjoying it um, helped them dance better. And I actually remember there was, <laughs> there was one woman who was an exercise instructor who came into the group and she had a really, you know, a warm up. She'd put on this great music and start doing, you know, it was like an aerobics warm up. And he was sitting there and he just jumped up and started doing it. Like he really wanted to get in on the fun of doing all these movements over and over. And um, so I'm trying to think, yeah, he was, he was, you know, very patient with questions and he was, um, he was willing to allow personal style. He didn't, you know, he was happy to show us what he felt like was the right style. But, you know, there was, he was never like um, demanding, like, no, that's not, you know, I mean, he could say that in, in more joking than any other way, but he tried to lead by example. And um, of course we all wanted to do it as close to what he was doing as possible. So I just, you know, my memory of him is going through it slowly and, you know, then doing it again as we needed and then sort of seeing, did we want him to do it yet again and being very patient and willing to do that. So it was, it's really nice to work with him. And, and, you know, I mean, one thing that I have to say is that we sort of understood who he was and what he had done, but we didn't all really get who we were with. I mean, that, that developed over the years. Um, you know, for example, after, after, um, Black and Blue came out and he won the Tony. I remember thinking, oh, that was a flute. That's never gonna happen. There's not gonna be any more swing dance stuff like this coming coming down the pike. That was really nice that he got to do that. But, and then there was Play On and there was Malcolm X and they were swinging at the Savoy and or was it Stomping at the Savoy, the TV movie? You know, it really picked up. I think that we, as we got farther away from that period, it became the vintage time people wanted to uh, look back on. It was not recent. It became now the past more and more. So um, we really, we really didn't totally understand that. And he never, he never tried to act, you know, the big shot. Um, you know, I, I was at the Savoy and I did this and I, you know, traveled the world. Never. There was none of, none of that at all. You know, in fact, he would, at those dinners, sometimes we'd have to coax him to speak out and you know, we'd, we'd go around the table and be like, Frankie, we haven't heard from you. Can you, you know, tell us your story? And he would always have a really good one. <laughs> that it's mind blowing the games of categories over the years. And Frankie Manning's all the stories that would come out of all the different categories. That's really, yeah. Really cool. Well, sometime, you know, when we're, when COVID's over and we meet in person, I'll tell you some of the other ones. <laughs> they got increasingly body. Let me just say that. And he he kept up with us 100%. <laughs> so your, your stories remind me of two things. First off, um, Sylvia Sykes tells this great story about how she was standing next to Frankie one time and it was like a contest or a band or something. There was something that made everyone clap to the beat of the song. And she was like, who's this person clapping so behind? 
like someone is way behind and she looks over and it's Frankie and she's like, <laughs> wait a second. Oh no. Like she, she realized like, oh, that's where the rhythm is, not where we are. And like, <laughs> yeah. Well, was it like he was on the two and the four and they were on the one and the well, three? I, I, think they, I think they were on the, they were on the two and fours as well. They were just fast. really like he was just swinging so far behind on the two and fours that like it was noticeable that someone was clapping later than they were even on the twos and fours. Yeah. You know, if 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 um, a group of us was out at a, you know, a place to hear jazz or concert, like Frankie would start clapping and, you know, everybody got in on the act. He was just that, you know, his enjoyment was so infectious and he welcomed people to be part of it with him. And it was, it was really fun. Uh, the other thing that reminded me of is that we in the, we're currently, I know myself and a lot of other teachers are talking about like how we, how we reconsider counting and in what ways can we like, how can we pull back from counting? Because, you know, like you said, like how can we eliminate the middleman earlier in an educational part? How can we like use, because, you know, uh, you know, as uh, I had a fantastic conversation with Latasha Barnes about how um, count, you know, uh, swing is not a count. It's not a one specific moment in time marked by a count and uh, how, you know, it's, it's a feel, it's a stretch and release feeling and a stretch. And, like, it's, it's, it's a feeling that has a very specific push and pull and push and pull um, and how much like, yeah, if, if, how, how can we use, how can we like use counts to help put the, you know, put a ruler on the ground, but then as soon as possible, take that ruler away. Um, so that's, yeah, that made me think of that. Well, one thing that Frankie did sometimes was he would almost scat it, you know, he'd sort of say the words and that worked really well, except of course, sometimes we were looking for the exact same scat to repeat to, and he might change it. But, but I think that that's, you know, just to, to sing the music, um, uh, there was, do you know that uh, jazz musician Wycliffe Gordon, the um, trombone player? Really, yeah, really great. And he, I think he even wrote a book called Sing It First. So he teaches his students, sing what you're hearing first. And so I think by singing it, that's kind of a, you know, a midway thing to do. And, you know, that might, that might be helpful. <laughs> I, I, um, I watched a presentation um, at Lincoln Center and there were a group of jazz musicians talking about jazz and then they segwayed to blues and they're like okay if we can't quite talk about jazz let's not even get into blues because of the <laughs> the sense um, of like this intangible quality in the music and so um, and I know from my perspective and granted like Latasha Barr and Bobby like are incredible people who've been studying dance and music for years and my knowledge is not anywhere near theirs but for my embodied and lived history with um afrocentric dancing uh, from the continent like i was never taught with counts i was never taught like um how to move with counts. i was taught feelings and rhythms and um how to respond to music and so um it's, it's interesting to see this conversation about counts and scats and the feeling, making sure to get the feeling versus um, 
hanging on to a static moment in time, which is what counts are. They're a specific, very defined static moment in time. And so um, it, it, I, I'm loving seeing this conversation and participating in it when I'm able to, because it is, I think it's so important for us, you know, um, to explore and to question. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Exploring and questioning is a great thing and what a good conversation is about. And I'm wondering um, if, you know, as part of a class, like just setting people free to move to the music, just so that you, you really at least start to hear it without worrying about what you're producing as you listen, um, you know, could be helpful. But I think it's a, a really good goal for teachers to try to at least give their students some experience of that, you know, relatively early on, um, even if what they end up doing isn't, isn't perfect, you know, so they can at least have that, you know, beautiful experience because it is a good one. So uh, I know you've already kind of touched upon this some and there might not be much more to touch upon, but what was the scene like uh, back then and you know, how people experienced it and maybe how that's different from how it's grown over the years? Yeah, you know, actually that was one of the notes, I was, a, a list of notes I was going to make. And maybe I did, let me just see. Um, well, first of all, there was far less dancing, far less places to dance. Um, it's different in so many ways. Um, I, I, this is, there were always some very good dancers around but honestly, I would say that the level of dancing has just grown exponentially over the years. And that as new generations, you know, I'm talking about not 25 year generations, but much shorter, you know, swing dance generations come into the fold um, and new ideas have been introduced. And, and the concept of, I see more dancing to the music. Um, I see more improvisation, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't, you know, sometimes, but, but I actually, I have this thing that the people who really feel the dancing, maybe they, they, you know, if you really feel the dancing and it doesn't look that great, then you really love dancing. And I, um, you know, cause you're not getting the kinesthetic feedback or audience feedback necessarily, but you still want to do it. And I really respect and love that in, in dancers. Um, so, I enjoy seeing whatever's out there, you know, where sometimes it's so beautiful, it just takes your breath away. It's just like, this is perfection. And other times it's not, but you know, it's all good in, in my opinion. Um, and also if everybody was absolutely perfect and wonderful, the teachers would be out of a job. So <laughs> we have to have the people who want to uh, learn more and improve. Um, so I think the dancing has, it's it, it really, Really, I, I really see a lot of really beautiful stuff um, out there. Um, the blues dancing wasn't happening as a defined thing. I mean, sometimes there'd be a slow number, but there wouldn't be, we didn't have blues dancing. In fact, oh, I'll tell you a cute story. So I was doing these uh, lecture demonstrations for children, well, sometimes for adults, but Frankie and Don Hampton and I got into doing them for kids. And it started at my school because um, what happened was there was, well, at, at one school, the second grade was studying Harlem. And so Frankie came in to talk about Harlem. And of course, since he was there, we danced and we, you know, we couldn't show video back then, but we held up photos. And this was second graders. We were planning a 45 minute session uh, 
they, he, they were so enthralled with him that we went on for 90 minutes. And the only reason we stopped was school ended and they had to go. Um, so, you know, we did that. And then, but then at my, the next school I went to, um, they were doing a unit on from the civil war to civil rights. And because Frankie was so old, <laughs> he was alive before the civil rights movement of the sixties. And he could really talk about what it was like. And, you know, he toured in the South and also up in the North, there were experiences. So he came in to talk about that with a sixth grade, two sixth grades, we were in the auditorium. And um, um, so <laughs> we, um, at one point I said, all right, anybody want to dance with Frank? You know, he's a dancer. And if someone wants to dance, and I thought maybe a couple of the, the very adventurous girls would go up, you know, his partner thing. And I went to fiddle with the music, which was like a cassette tapes. And you know, to put it in perspective. And I looked up and both classes had gone up on the stage, um, which was really cool. I was really proud of the students. And so Frankie immediately, immediately pivoted from trying to do a partner dance to, he realized well the only thing he could do would be the shim sham. So we did a, and on the spot, he did a simplified shim sham and it was great. So anyway, back to John and Frankie. So, um, at, at one point, you know, we started bringing Dawn in because she was a great, she could do that, the bunger rock improv. And we could say, this is improv. She doesn't really know what she's gonna be doing. She's gonna be making it up as she goes along. And um, so we did, we did that. And, you know, we would, we would, we did the Big Apple one time. We did Lindy Hop history one time. And we were going back to school and I was like, you know, I'd really like to talk about the blues maybe with them. And they're like, oh, oh no, 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 you, you can't do blues with kids. I mean, and I'm like, you could just dance slow a little bit and, you know, and, and, and they're like, no, no. I said, well, could we just try it? You know, can I play some and you can show me what you would do? So I put on some blues music and the two of them both start doing like a slow strip tease to the music, like really, <laughs> they're like unbuttoning their clothes and like, you know. <laughs> and it's like, Okay, okay, you're, you're, I get it. Not for kids, not for kids. <laughs> but um, anyway, so, sorry. So back to the, um, where did I, I went off on a tangent. Will you help me get back to the, where that came from? <laughs> well, you asked about, we were talking about how it was different, how much better the dancers were. They've gotten much younger. Um, and again, I, I wanna, I don't wanna take away, there were some real heroes back early on that I, I loved, you know, Margaret and Mickey and Ryan and lots and lots of people back then. Um, uh, Buster Brown used to come to our dances. Uh, he was a beautiful dancer, lovely to dance with. He had a very simple Lindy Hop style, but like on the beat and just, it was great. Um, really clear lead. Um, but anyway, so they're, so they're getting younger um, and that, Frankie started noticing that, particularly when he was going to Europe. It took a little longer, I think, for in America for the dancing to come down in age. When I, I was, you know, in my low 30s when I started, and I was one of the youngest people there. Um, let's see what else. Now, another big change, and there's so many more venues. It's exploded. So there's so many more venues. There's so many more schools. There's so many more teachers. Um, also, a lot of people have, it, it's moved a lot from things being put on by volunteers to more professional, you know, people who are making this their career or at least part of their career. So that's a big change. Hello, listeners. 
Cynthia wanted to clarify in this upcoming section that when she's talking about not having internet or email, she's speaking specifically of the early 1980s in the scene. Um, one thing that's really different, and it's hard to understand how different this was, but there was no internet when I got started. I don't think I even had email when I got started. And so the communication was only person to person. And so let's say you needed a new pair of shoes and you wanted to know where to go. You just had to ask people at a dance and hope you got an answer. And if you wanted to know what was happening, there wasn't that much happening, but if you wanted to know what was happening, it was all, you know, there were word of mouth, the New York Swing Dancing, Swing Dance Society to, um, to communicate. Uh, Gabby Winkle, who was uh, doing a lot of uh, organizing with them, um, she was on the board, she would hold mailing sessions, and we would come and we would fold the mailers and stuff them and chat, and it was really fun, and then we'd all go out for dinner afterwards, so that was the level of communication at the time. Um, she started a newsletter for the New York Swing Dance Society, which is uh, where those um, profiles of Lindy Hoppers were first printed. So we had that, and then there started to be a few more newsletters, but, and then there started to be, you know, I, I don't remember exactly when I got email. I mean, it was in there. Um, so the communication has spiraled. Like, I mean, there are all these people all over the world. I know who they are. I know something about them. I've never met them and I may never meet them, but I know what they're thinking. And, you know, I know what they ate for dinner. <laughs> I know what they did on their birthday. I, I often send them a happy birthday. Um, so that's like a huge thing. So suddenly the influx of information is like completely, completely different. Yeah, I, um, I wanted to go back to uh, Frankie with the children. Um, I, I taught a first year experience class for many years and uh, the name of the class was Pop Walk and Lindy Hop. And the first couple years we would do the Shim Sham with Frankie. And so we would have him on the big screen and you know, you hear him, aha, hey, <laughs> hey, aha, hey. And so my, you know, my students got it and push it in, push it in, crossover. So even like through film, um, there is this magnetism that he had. And I had these like big, bad football players that were not interested in dancing before they just randomly were dropped into my FYE. And like, they're busy trying to like learn Susie Hughes and all these different things. And so as you're talking about him and you're thinking like, oh, just a couple students will be, you know, the adventurous ones, the really precocious ones are gonna go up there. It um like even like even post posthumously he had the ability to draw people to dancing and so you said that and I was like oh, that's such an interesting common experience for someone who's never met him to to hear and to feel that in the warmth of this incredible person so I'm I'm so glad that you can feel that and I I'm I'm sad that you and so many other people I you know I. Uh, you know, we've been uh, talking to someone at the Schomburg about his memorabilia and, and um, one person we were speaking to there said, you know, who knows, maybe we can create a hologram of him at some point. <laughs> and I was like, that would be awesome. And I, you know, it's, it's really hard to 
think about how to best share him with people. I, you know, and I become aware that, you know, I don't want people to feel bad that they didn't meet him. So, um, and I also know, like, I meet so many people. I mean, to someone, he would have loved meeting you and you, you would have connected and bonded. Bobby, did you meet Frankie? I think, yeah. You know, so I meet so many people and I'm just like, he would have loved meeting this person. They would have loved meeting him. Um, and he did have that, you know, I used to notice, um, you know, after rehearsal, we all go out to restaurants or whatever. And the waiter, he would like kid around with the waiter and the waiter would connect and, and they had no idea who he was um, or any interest in dancing particularly, but, you know, that, that would happen. And yeah, he, he did just, he did just, um, he did just have that. Actually, one time when he was at my school, this is my first year at the school that I'm at now where I've been for 26 years. <laughs> and the eighth grade was a very challenging, they were the oldest kids, very challenging eighth grade. And I didn't feel like I was managing them very well at all. So Frankie came, um, I think he, let's see, maybe they were the sixth grade that year. And then I, anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little lost. I mean, just, you know, this is how memories are. It's hard to put it all together. But anyway, there was a group that I had been struggling with. So they, they he did the presentation and he stayed for lunch afterwards in the cafeteria. And one of the boys, all these boys from this group would sit at the table together. And one of them came over, Frankie was sitting with me and some other teachers said, um, Frankie, we wanted to invite you to sit at our table, the boys table, they called it. Um, we, we, we try not to have it be like that anymore, but you know, it happens. Um, so he went over there and he, afterwards I said, so what'd you talk about? He said, we mostly talked about sports because he really was, he was particularly basketball he loved. And I'll tell you, my relationship improved with that group. They were so much more willing to listen to me and follow my directions. And every now and then I run into the guy who's now a doctor that invited Frankie over and I'll run into him. And he, one time he asked and Frankie had passed away. So now he knows that he's, he's dead, but you know, he'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. I mean, he really, you know, connected to these kids. And it wasn't even through the dancing as much as through just being the person that he was. <laughs> I know. Um, Frankie actually, so here's my near miss story with Frankie. This is like the saddest story in the entire world. But it's like the real estate stories in New York. You're the near miss, you miss that apartment, then miss Frankie. <laughs> exactly. And it's, but it, it has its stars and, a kind of sassy 19 year old Chisomo, 19 or 20 year old, I forget. But I was in college and um, my friend who got me into swing dancing was trying to convince me that it was cool. And I was not convinced that it was cool. <laughs> and so she was like, you really need to, you should come out, you should come out. And then a couple weeks later, she was like, okay, there's this really amazing man who is coming to Strongsville. I live in Cleveland. Uh, well, I lived in, um, we were in Berea. Strongsville is literally like five miles away. So I was in Berea, Ohio. Frankie Manning was coming to Strongsville, Ohio. It's like somebody, it's like saying that Ella Fitzgerald is going to be at the Walgreens down the street and you just refuse to go. So my friend Felicia Bodie says, uh, Frankie Manning is coming and he's doing a workshop in Strongsville, Ohio. 
you need to come with me. And I looked at her as my like 19, 20 year old bad self. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I refused to go to this thing because I had no concept of who this man is. And that swing dancing actually was pretty cool. And so that actually was the motivation for me to get Norma Miller to my university, because then years later, I was like, what have I done? <laughs> Why? Like, what? He was one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my entire life. He was literally about five to 10 miles down the road. I could have met this man. I could have learned from this man, but I chose not to because I was a stubborn child. So... When I heard about Norma and I uh, was connected to Adam Brzezowski, we were like, we need to get her on a college stage. She's important to our history. And my university agreed. And so I, I was determined, even though like swing dancing was still kind of a new thing for me at that point, I was like, no, I missed my chance. And so my moment with Norma was kind of a moment of redemption. And so then, um, yeah, so... <laughs> That's my nearest story. Yeah. Well, life is kind of like a series of, of those, you know, lessons. And fortunately, we get to, um, we get another chance of, of a sort sometime. And, and it's good. It's great that you jumped on it and that you brought Norma in. I mean, because she's a treasure also. And there's going to be a generation coming up now that didn't know Norma. And it'll be, you know, you and, and other people who worked with her and brought her in who will be telling about her. Um, also. So that's great that you got that. <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful. It is, I mean, that is my, my shame story. Most people know the other, the, the second half of the story. They, they know about Norma, but they don't know about, they don't know about Frankie and my angsty teenage ways, but you know, <laughs> but you I, what? I, he would have understood. He would have totally understood. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is, I mean, this is the reason why it's really important for us to share stories and to um, remind people about these different, about these greats, you know, about these elders, about our history, you know, because I, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know who he was, I didn't know his importance and, um, I, at, at a later point in time, had a conversation with my uncle in Zambia about swing because my family's kind of been watching from afar. They're like, you're really interested in this Black American art form and, or you're really interested in this art form that we didn't realize was Black American. And so in, in talking about it, they've seen that they actually can connect to this thing. And so mm -hmm. it's so, I just think it's just so important for us to continue to share these lesser known stories that should be known by everybody, you know? I couldn't agree more. I mean, I really do. And, and you know, I recently, uh, Ramona and Evita did an event in Australia and they had a session with um, uh, Sugar Sullivan and Barbara Billups. And I, I watched, I mean, I realized, you know, I've, I know Sugar a little bit. I've talked to her a little bit had some pleasant words. I don't really know her. I haven't heard her talk a lot and I don't know Barbara at all. And I tuned in and it was so great. They were, I, I, if they ever, I hope, I don't know if they have a recording or not. I hope they do and that they played again. They were so interesting and so funny and so sharp. I mean, at one point there, you know, there were questions and Barbara, there were people giving, they were asked for advice about dancing and Barbara was like, no, you should find your own style, do your own thing. Don't try to be like us. And she goes, 
because you can't. <laughs> and, and she meant it in a sweet way, you know, she, she was, but it was such a great, a great moment. And, um, you know, Sonny Allen, um, Amani, uh, the, the, what is it, Collective Voices for Change, did a really nice um, program with, let's see, who was that? That was Mickey, Amanye, and oh, Darlene Gist, who I just love. She's such a beautiful person. Um, that was great. And, you know, one of the um, things, topics I had mentioned to talk about was maybe we can talk a little bit about, put out some ideas about where research and events and can go in the future. Um, I mean, fortunately, of uh, these people, I, I know Tina uh, Morales has done some great work with recording people and posting and, um, you know, she's got her, the swing museum going and she's doing a lot. I mean, there's so many people doing great work. I mean, you know, um, um, Latasha has a book coming out. Um, what did she tell me? It's gonna be called, it's 21st century jazz dance, Africanist, aesthetics and equity and teaching and choreography. So she's gonna be adding to the canon. And then, you know, we have Christy J. Wells's book, Between the Beats, The Jazz Tradition and Black Vernacular Dance, and Karen Campos McCormick and Bobby's wonderful article. Bobby, I am so enjoying the Harvest Moonball article. Oh. Even when they contradict, even when you find a mistake in the book, I still <laughs> love them. I, I particularly love hearing about what's going on behind the, um, you know, the politics of how that came about. Um, Lana and Lana Turner and Julia are actually working on it. Um, it was gonna be just a little film for Frankie's birthday and then they realized they've got too much to just knock it off. So they're going to do something on the clubs and the spaces in Harlem. Ooh. And it's gonna be, they're discovering a lot of new information and you know, both of them have such a deep level of information. I mean, that's gonna be amazing. And, um, you know, there's just, there's just so much going on. So one of the things that, so there's a lot of good work going on, but one of the areas that I would love to see um, someone do some research, a uh, book or articles or, and, you know, Lana and I were just talking about this is with the, some of these people we just mentioned, I think Sugar just turned 90. And, um, you know, of course, some of the, these dancers are, are younger, but it would be great to get their perspective because they really know a lot. And all those people are, they're great speakers and uh, really interesting thinkers. They have beautiful perspectives. You know, they can take the facts of what happened and weave them into interesting opinions. And so, you know, I'd, I'd love to see that happen, but yeah, I, I agree that it's great and uh, interesting to hear the elders speak. Um, and I'm really grateful for all the people that are trying to bring that out to us. Yeah, some, something about uh, Sugar and Barbara is I would love to talk to them, and I, I think it might might be trying to work something out. Um, but you know, they were uh, they were coming in the '50s and '60s, and so they have uh, you know they know the dancers of that era, that, and they can tell those stories. And it's one of the you know one of those. Um, one of those sad coincidences to our history is that, you know, we have so much on the Whitey's Lindy Hopper stuff because Frankie and Al and, and some of the others were around to tell lots of stories about that group of, of dancers. Yeah. And then I guess there's just not, at least come down to me, there's not as much information on like the fifties and sixties dancers. And then like the yeah. Molly Parks dancers. And that's been such, and it's so great about, you know, 
Jazz, you know, you mentioned, uh, I want to give a shout out to Jazz Attack, who's been doing those incredible interviews with Mama Lou Parks dancers like uh, David Butts and, um, and Deborah Youngblood and Crystal Johnson. and um, That's great. I'm glad you're mentioning them. I, I, I didn't know. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe we can share some of these. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And for those of you listening, you can go to YouTube and type okay. in Jazz Attacks and uh, okay. I, all their interviews should be on YouTube. Oh, cool. That's, that's really great to know. Um, uh, I will, there was, Barbara told another story that I think, you know, fits in with our topic for today. That was so great. Somebody asked her, when was the last time you saw Frankie, uh, at the Savoy? And she said, well, you know, he came up and I guess it was the late fifties, mid, mid to late fifties. And she said, a whole bunch of women made a circle around him. So he would and he did a round robin dance with them. <laughs> and I was like, that fits, that fits, you know, that they, they still knew who he was and they still wanted to dance with him, which was, which is so sweet. Um, you know, I missed Al Mims and uh, to some, well, you, 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 <laughs> you divulge your near Mr. I'm gonna share mine. So I was just, just getting a taste of swing dancing and ballroom dancing. And I was dating this guy who, we had fun just dancing on, on our own, you know, to rock and roll music, but he didn't feel like he was a dancer. And I really, really, really wanted him to come dancing with me and try partner dancing with me. And finally he agreed. And this was when Sandra Cameron's dance studio was the only studio that I knew of at the time that had swing and, or, or dancing. She was on West 20th Street. And to get Kevin to go, you know, the last day he was like resisting, like, so we went to a bar, then we went to a movie, then we went to another bar. And by then <laughs> he was ready to walk in. So we walked in and I don't know what, I, I don't know if I just didn't look up the schedule. I'm not sure why this happened. All this trying to remember things helps me understand what it must have been like for Frankie. But we walked in, um, somebody was in a big, tall, like cowboy hat, like a really big, tall one doing, you know, a line dance, a cowboy line dance. And Kevin was just like, get me out of here. <laughs> and after I got into swing dancing and I, you know, we were broken up, but we were friends and I showed him some of the stuff. And he was like, oh, if we had walked in on, on any of these guys, I would have I would have taken that class in a second. And so Al Mins was teaching at Sandra Cameron's and because I didn't work it out and figure out how to make this happen, you know, I missed him. And then he was uh, by the time I by the time I got back in, I guess when we broke up, I was when I kind of went to more swing dancing. He had he had passed away by then. But anyway. <laughs> I know. <laughs> For just a moment, I thought you were going to say that the guy in the cowboy hat was Al Mins. <laughs> For just a second, my brain. Oh, went there. that would be a good story. Whoever it was, it was a great dance. I mean, I I really love all kinds of dances. I would have been happy to do that. I I I've never met a dance I didn't like. I don't think. Um, but um, yeah, it wasn't Kevin's thing. <laughs> that would be a good story. <laughs> We here at Integrated Rhythm, along with Cynthia Millman, would love for you to consider donating some money to 
two important organizations slash three important organizations, the first of which is the Black Lindy Hoppers Fund. The Black Lindy Hoppers Fund is a new independent program initiated by the Frankie Manning Foundation, one of the other places you can donate to, and it's supported by the Houston Swing Dance Society. Championed by black leadership of the Lindy Hop community, its mission is to provide assistance to established and developing dancers, musicians, researchers, and community builders endeavoring to be of greater service to the community members of African and African diasporic heritage. It's a fantastic organization. You can check out more information at blacklindyhoppersfund.org. That's blacklindyhoppersfund.org. By the way, Julia Loving and Latasha Barnes, two of our guests on Integrated Rhythm, are on the board of the Black Lindy Hoppers Fund. So you can hear their stories and then help contribute to that organization. The other organization you can donate to is the Collective Voices for Change. This is another Lindy Hop jazz dance oriented organization. Collective Voices for Change is an international initiative committed to building a new and equitable social fabric in the jazz dance community. They are not affiliated with any political party or political organization. Their vision is to help transform the current dance scene into a respectful and appreciative environment for everyone to enjoy. Check them out on Facebook, Collective Voices for Change. That will get you information on the group, how you can help donate to them, and all the amazing projects that they do that you can help take part in. We here at Integrated Rhythm love supporting black businesses. You know this. And so when Cynthia Millman told us the black businesses she wanted us to make sure to support, aside from Black Lindy Hopper's Fund, aside from Collective Voices for Change, she also mentioned, oh yes, the Red Rooster in Harlem. First words out of her mouth, Red Rooster in Harlem. What is this? Well, it's an incredible soul food restaurant in Harlem, which means you're going to have to go to Harlem to support it. Oh, well, you get to come to New York, you get to go to the Mecca of Lindy Hop in Harlem, you get to see that beautiful neighborhood, and you get to have some incredible soul food. Also, if you're a vegetarian, you may want to look up the vegetarian soul food restaurants in Harlem. There are some. Now, if you don't know the history of soul food, down and dirty, here we go. As you know, the Great Migration happened in the early 1900s. Tons and tons and tons of black Americans, unfortunately, were forced through intimidation and horrible living situations and all sorts of nasty stuff. I mean, let's not mince words. We're talking about terrorism. White terrorism against fellow black Americans. Anyway, so a lot of those black Americans, including people like Frankie Manning's mother, Al Menz's father, all sorts of our favorite Lindy Hoppers, they came north to move to northern cities to start life anew. When they got there, they missed that incredible southern cooking back home. And so what they do? They opened soul food restaurants. And so that's why to this day, if you go to northern cities, a lot of times they'll have some really incredible soul food restaurants, black-owned businesses cooking in the Southern tradition. And that's what the Red Rooster is. So when you're in Harlem, check out the Red Rooster. Hey, everybody. This is Bobby White from Integrated Rhythm. We're here to ask you to please consider donating to the podcast. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash integrated rhythm. You can do so by Venmoing at Bobby Swungover. And make sure to put a little IR in the note so we make sure it goes to the right people. You can also do so by PayPaling at Bobby White 3. And once again, putting a little IR in the in the window there. Doing so will help us keep this podcast going. And we love doing it and we hope you love it too. 
If you can't afford to donate at this time because times are rough, we totally understand. We don't want you to put yourselves out. We want you to keep enjoying the podcast for free. However, if you have a little bit of pocket change in your pocket, we would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thanks and have a great day. Now break is over. Now it's back to the show. Well, this is a great segue into, uh, you know, what made you decide to do the Frankie book and what was that process like? Okay. So it was it was a series of steps that led to it. Um, I was hearing more and more about his stories from being in the Big Apple Lindy Hoppers. So I started to realize there's a lot going on here. And I was always drawn to the people that were uh, around the beginning of dances. I had, um, you know, I just was always, you know, even in modern dance, I was interested in those people. Um, I'm kind of, one of my little bragging points is, um, Wait, what's his name? I went to Jacob's Pillow the last year that the founder, and right now I'm blanking on his name, but he was an early pioneer of modern dance. The last year, year he was alive and then he taught there. Um, so, you know, I was starting to see that Frankie had a lot to talk about. And I just, it sort of got to a point where I just got obsessed with the history of this dance, like every aspect I was interested in the early dances and the jazz age. And I wanted to know more about swing dancing. And I, I was interested in learning more about Harlem and, and, and the war and um, just the jazz dance, jazz steps and tap dancing and just, you know, all the tangential areas were becoming fascinating to me. Um, so that was one thing. So then I did that article, then I did that master's thesis. And, you know, I started to be writing about dancing a little bit and um, starting to think about how do you put it into words. Um, now let's see. Oh, I know. So then I got injured doing an air step. I hurt my knee and I was, I, I put off getting the surgery for a good year. Um, and so I wasn't dancing for a year. It was a very sad year for me. I you know, I really loved just, you know, in that early phase, we just, ugh, we're just so crazy about it. And I, I, I went home every night and cried for a year because I couldn't dance. It was really devastating. And then I had the surgery and I could dance again afterwards, but not quite as well. But I got back into, you know, it's back in the Lindy Hoppers for a bit. But anyway, while I was injured, there was an event in New York, I think they called it American Swing Dance Championships. You know, it was supposed to be modeled on the big one out in California. So uh, one of the producers of that event knew what I was going through and, and knew that I had started to investigate and write about it and said, would you like to maybe you can make a display about the history? So I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And I, I went crazy with it. I mean, it. I, I wish I had, I had meant to try to pull some pictures out to show you or something, but I um, I ended up having, it was, we sort of did it in the lobby outside the big ballroom and we had these, you know, big panels. So there was one precursors, the Savoy, Whitey's Lindy Hoppers. Um, I can't remember what else, but you know, I had the, and I just, at that point, I, I was just Xeroxing things and cutting them out. I Xerox, you know, all the Life Magazine things and whatever. I think maybe Frankie lent me some stuff even back then. Um, and then Ernie Smith, who um, who was, you know, a big, he was really did a lot to get swing dancing 
out to the crowd that was um, coming together in New York because he was collecting film. He was collecting jazz dance on film and he collected tap dancers. He collect, collected eccentric dancers on film and he collected some Lindy Hop. And you might know that these three reels, there are three reels of his stuff and it's available in the Smithsonian. And I think you can arrange to get like a working copy. And they'll, I think that last I heard, I don't know. So he would be doing programs. And I talked to him about the display and he was so generous. He said, yeah, you can come up to my place and we'll see what I have. So the, the display got a really nice response and people started saying, hey, you know, maybe you should write a book. And I went to Ernie and said, this is what people are saying. Like, would you want to do it together? And he said, you know, yeah, maybe yeah, let's talk about it. So we had a bunch of meetings on it. And at that point, the book would have been about all of swing dancing. <laughs> Little did I know <laughs> what I was getting into. So anyway, we had a bunch of discussions and they went really well and they were very clarifying. And then after a while, Ernie said, you know, I mean, he was in, I guess, in his 60s, maybe 70s, I'm not sure. He's like, I don't have that much free time and I, I really want to paint. That is where my passion is right now. So I'm going to focus on that. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll try to do this on my own. And then I, it didn't take long to realize, no, I cannot possibly do this because it was going to be on swing dancing, but with a focus on Frankie's part of the story because he was available. And um, then what happened was I realized I had to limit it, you know, or, or I think they say in academia, delimit de the, the topic, you know, you had to bring it down to something manageable. So brought it down to Frankie. And I, I'm not sure when in that process, I heard that Norma was doing a book, but you know, at some point we realized she was doing a book and so that that would cover her perspective. And I think, you know, one thing that people really probably don't know much about anymore, but there was this researcher named Terry Monahan who um, was doing intense, intense research on everything about swing dancing. I mean, all those tangents that I mentioned, he was researching so much. He, he lived in England and he would come over here for these research research tours and he was getting everything. And I, I don't know if he, um, I, this would be maybe easy to figure out if we look at the dates. He either interviewed Mogale or maybe Mogale's son or something like that. I mean, he was, and he was getting around to all the original dancers that were alive. So I felt you know, I knew he, I, I, he started around the same time. So it was like, all right, I'll focus on Frankie. Norma's doing her thing and, and um, he'll do that. And also, and Terry will do everything else. <laughs> and also Bob Kreese had been interviewing, um, you know, I just want to do a shout out to those wonderful interviews with original Lindy Hoppers that he did that are posted on the Frankie Manning website. And thanks to Bobby, they were sort of buried down in our blog even I had a hard time. I, I'm the, I scanned them, I posted them, and I did an introductory interview with Bob. Even I had trouble finding it. So we brought it up to the top, and now it's much easier to find. Um, so uh, Bob was doing that. So there were, you know, various people doing research um, around. So sadly, very, very sadly, Terry died. Um, the Frankie's book came out a little before, and I, I think he was getting you know, ready to um, 
start to really put it together. And he did some great articles in the meantime. And I, you know, when I was thinking about this interview, I was like, you know, I should really see if we can get those articles, if we can get permission from his daughter to post them because they were really good. He was a really deep thinker, really just looking at everything from every which way. He was extremely helpful uh, and generous to me on the book. Um, you know, we would do long distance phone. In those days, you had to pay for the long distance phone calls. So, you know, that was part of the expense was my long phone calls with Terry. And, you know, I always like to tell about, um, there were two things that I really remember that he did. One time he offered me some information. It might've been a photo or an article. I don't remember. And it was really new. Like I didn't know about it. It was really a new discovery. And I was so touched, but because I thought, his book would be coming out. I said, that is so nice of you, but you found this, you should really bring it out and thank you. But, you know, I wouldn't feel right. You, you should, you should bring it out. Um, and then another time, you know, when I would, the, the first chapter I tried to put together was the Australia chapter, but, and that's mostly because Frankie had more material on that in the, in the albums that he loaned me. Um, after he passed away and I got to see some of the other memorabilia that was stored at home that he may not, he may not even have realized he still had that. There was, uh, you know, some other stuff, but, and, and there were a lot of articles where it would say like Tuesday, May 25th or something, but it didn't say the year. And since they were there between 38 and 39, half of 38, half of 39, I was really trying to establish a chronology. So I had created my own, there were a few articles where, I could tell what year it was. So I took those and I created a calendar for 1938 and 1939 and I could plug everything into that. So I was telling Terry about that and he said, well, you know, there's something called a perpetual calendar and it'll give you every year. And all you have to do is know, you know, what day Tuesday was, you know, what number of the month Tuesday was and you'll be able to tell the year. And it was like, oh my God, it was one of the best things ever. Um, it really, it, I really remember it as a, a highlight of the, re, the research process. And I'll tell you the other one in a minute. But um, anyway, so he, he passed away. And his daughter, I know, was planning or perhaps still is planning to try to bring the book out. I have nominated Bobby to be the person to take it over because, you know, I think he would do a great job with it. Um, and Bobby, I think you seemed interested and we we're sort of, you know, waiting to see where things might might go with that. Um, or if not, I'd love to see somebody, you know, Bobby or, or someone else, if there's someone out there, who, you know, do something on the Savoy and start from scratch, because there's so much more now, there's so much more material and ways to get at it. And I know, we were going to talk a little bit about that. And I, I can in a minute, but um, maybe just for fun, I'll just tell you that other story of the, the, the highlight, one of the highlight moments was, so everybody's saying, you know, Frankie, talked about it. Whitey, when they gave Judy Garland a, a break, Whitey said he wanted a break for his kids and um, the director wouldn't give it to them. And Whitey told his dancers to sit down and take a break. Um, and they were so pissed, they took the scene out. And it, it was gonna be them going to this little, uh, Whitey had sort of rented out what used to be a laundromat as a club. It was right near the Savoy for the kids to hang out in. And they were going to go there. And instead, they went somewhere else. So um, in the movie. So I don't know how I found her, but I found this um, librarian at the Library for the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. 
So anything where there's film, uh, you might get something if you contact her and can give her the name. She's amazing. And she she helped, I know, <laughs> she helped a lot with helping me figure out where to get rights for pictures. But anyway, one day she emails and she said, I found four pictures from um, Everybody Sings. And she sent four photographs, one of which is in the book. We put the one without Frankie in the book because it had Judy Garland. But there was another one where Whitey's there. You know, Frankie talks about Whitey was there and there's others with Frankie and other the dancer. And it was just like, oh my God, it was, it was one of the happiest, highest moments. Um, you know, when something that you think is gone forever appears, it was just so great. Um, gosh, we're going all over the place. Um, should we get, we could get back to a little bit about some of the differences, I suppose, between then and now, and maybe talk about the difference in, in research was, yeah. was really, really different. So I was thinking about how can I get it across? And I was, I was thinking about, you know, my, my grandmother immigrated from Russia in the early 19, late 1800s, early 1900s. And she would tell me about, she lived in a little town and they would ride in a buggy and a horse. And I, I was so amazed at that. And I realized uh, I was doing some media classes with my students and I was trying to tell, and it's like, I got to my buggy and horse, horse and buggy moment because, you know, there's so many ch channels on TV now. And I'd, I would tell them, well, when I was a kid, there were three channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS. That was it. And we had a black and white TV. And on Saturday morning, after you watched the cartoons, there was golf or some grown-up movie or maybe football, you know, nothing that I could watch. And so we always went out and played on Saturday or if it was raining, we would read because there was nothing else to do. Um, so I was trying to, how to get across to swing dancers, what it was like. So in the back of the book, and, we, and keep, I, I did the math on this. I was doing the research about 25 to 15 years ago. We started in 93 and we submitted the manuscript in 2006. So, you know, we were, the start of it was really a long time ago. So in the back of the book, <laughs> there's this list of swing dance websites, swing dancing around the world. <laughs> So not only would that be completely unnecessary now, but in those days, I couldn't even get some of those addresses by going online and typing in anything. I actually had to email many of the teachers in the dance camps or call them and say, could you give me your website address? Because I can't find it. Because oh, there wow. was, you know, there, there just wasn't the search engine power then that we have now. So just to give you an example, um, Another example is to watch the Harvest Moon Ball videos. You know, it's so brilliant the way Bobby slows them down and enlarges them. In those days, the only way, excuse me, that I could see them was to go up to the dance collection at Lincoln Center, the Performing Arts Library, and I would request these videos. And a librarian would come and put the video on, and she would say, you can play it once, but don't re rewind it. You can't, you can't watch it more than once. So I would play it once, you know, like trying to like grab everything. And of course it's at full speed. And sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a rule follower. I, I, I follow the rules usually, but sometimes if I thought nobody was looking, I would rewind it and watch it one more time, but that's all I dared. 
you know, and towards the end, I may have, and, and I, I, I don't remember which one, I mean, they're in the catalog of the dance collection. I mean, at one point I looked up and, and I think they were the later, you know, maybe 37 and on, I'm not sure. Um, so that gives you some idea that the, the, um, the daily news did not open their archive at that point. I'm not sure when they did. And if it happened while I was still doing the book with Frankie, I'm not sure when, but Terry Monaghan had tried really, oh yeah, he was all over that trying to get in there and he couldn't. Um, so also, um, yeah, so there was very little internet searching. I, I had to do a lot on microfiche and um, <laughs> I, I used to study to suffer pretty badly from motion sickness. So I actually would get nauseous looking at the microfiche scrolling by. So I could, I could only go a few at a time and then I'd have to stop and then I could go a few more and then I'd get the article. And then, you know, it really slowed the research down. I, I actually got nauseous. <laughs> I got motion sickness at, you know, the rainbow room used to be open to the public and you could go there and dance and they had, the, they have a turning floor. So it didn't happen. I, I went, you know, three or four times. It, it only happened once, but I got, I got motion sickness and I couldn't go on the dance floor to dance. <laughs> so I guess that gives you some idea of, of what the, the research was like back then. It was, you know, I, I think, um, you know, it would be a very different experience now. And I'm, I love seeing what people are able to do. And it's so much more fun for me. I, I have not done a ton of research um, you know, people like Bobby and you, Chisomo, and lots of other people who have are way beyond me in terms of their knowledge of the whole picture. But when I do, boy, it's, I mean, just go on YouTube and hit a few buttons and you're looking at the clip. I mean, there was no YouTube there, that didn't exist. So I, I, the only way I got a copy of Hell's a Poppin' that I could watch over and over was I, uh, one night Sylvia Sex was visiting New York and I, I put her up, I let her stay with me and her little house gift was a copy of Hell's a Poppin'. So that was nice. Um, I didn't even have a, a VCR when I started swing dancing, but I got one and then I could, you know, watch. I got it because of swing dancing and I could watch that video. So, so be, be happy that you're doing your research now, not then. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember, um, uh, dear listeners, I... Uh, I've been in contact off and on with Cynthia uh, to help run ideas by her and run material by her and stuff. And, and I, I, the fact that the fact that we are able today to go through the daily news archives with just like a cheap, a really cheap subscription, considering how much, you know, like copies cost and like going to the library and spending hours looking through microfiche. It's a pale, pale fee in comparison to spend like 60 bucks on a subscription for a year to the daily news archives and how like you know you can it's 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 yes it's incredible to think that like oh i can type in frankie manning and it can show me all the hundreds of articles that this newspaper archives has has with these and you know so to, to be able to go through all the daily news archives and that's where like you know so much of those like the really nitty grit like the little nitty gritty details and uh, something that we constantly say in the articles uh, when we mentioned, you know, oh, like, so it looked like Norma was mistaken about this or Frankie was mistaken about this. What they were mistaken about were these, like, whether or not they got third place in 1939 at the Harvest Moon Ball, like <laughs> stuff that, like, I can't tell you if I got, I can't tell you what contests I've done, even the ones I have trophies for. Sometimes it would be really hard for me just to tell you right now what those were for and what time and what placements and 
And so, yes, uh, I salute so much Cynthia's and uh, <laughs> the, the research that she had to be able to pull off uh, in that time. Well, I did have one kind of, um, you know, really good resource, which was Frankie Manning. So I was very lucky in that way. So I, I uh, don't want to make it sound like I feel sorry for myself, but, um, you know, that was, of course, wonderful. But, you know, when I teach database searching to my students, I'll say, so when I was in graduate school for library science, we had a whole list of articles we had to go get. And you would, you know, I, I went to Queens College, so I would go out to Queens, um, and it could take all day to look up the article, find the places on the shelves. And then a lot of times, which is really sad, a lot of times you get to that article and somebody who had done in that course before had taken it out of the magazine. So it was really, so it's, it's you know, when, when they complain about, oh, I keep having, I had to do eight clicks to get to this. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a lot better. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, it was a, a, you know, a joy to work with Frankie. And, um, you know, he knew that he, he couldn't always remember and he would be like really trying. And, um, you know, there were so many times when I could find things to back up his memory or there were, I remember, he's trying to remember when he last performed before going into the army. And he was like, there, we were on a stage show and there was a Nicholas Brothers movie. And I was able to find the movie. This was maybe towards later in the process. So I was able to find the movie. And by that we could, and, you know, I said, is this the movie? He was like, yeah, yeah. So that we were able to date it exactly. So sometimes, you know, those things happen. Terry was very helpful with that kind of thing. Um, there was a guy, Donald Gardner, who was just a swing dancer, who was enthusiastic, who helped a lot with research. And Bob Kreese was um, incredibly helpful. Bob had done these extensive interview with Frankie. And I think he did with Norma. I was trying to re research that before, but I ran out of time. He did those for the Smithsonian, so that was a great um, resource. So you know, there were there were a lot of resources, but um, I, I mean, another problem was for a little while I had some sort of a access to the New York Times archives, the you know from the beginning. So I I found some stuff that way, but it would print out so tiny. You know, print the, all the all the interactions between devices was much wonkier back then, so I would it would be so tiny I could barely read it, and I didn't know how to, because at, at some points I think they were putting out um, photographs of the it wasn't text it wasn't electronic text. So anyway, um, you know it was it was a very um, intellectually stimulating process. Frankie was. Um, you know, a great thinker, and he was uh, lots of fun and really, really interesting, but also just uh, really good. He was a really good conversationalist. He he would listen to you a lot. He didn't ever dominate the conversation. And, uh, you know, he was very patient with me, kind of nitpicking away at the details. He didn't think people would be interested in that. So that was a little, uh, we had some disagreements about how deep into details to go, he would say, look, there's a few people who would be interested in this stuff, but most people are not gonna be interested. They're just not gonna care about all these details. And I'd be like, I, I, I honestly wasn't sure that I was right until the book came out and people did appreciate that. I mean, all through the book, we were never sure. And I was sort of like 
it might be one of these things where I really misjudged, but <laughs> somewhere in the middle of all this, Yehudi came out. Yehudi started as this um, forum and it connected dancers in a way we had never been connected before. There was no Facebook yet. And it was kind of revolutionary. And I remember there were a couple of discussions. There was one about what the follower does on count five. And it went on for pages and pages and pages and pages. And in those days, you know, it was the, the paper was all, you know, strung together. And I would print it out and I would show it to Frankie and I'd say, you know, I think these people are into detail actually. Like, look at this discussion about one second in a swing out, one beat of a swing out that goes on and on. And he was so funny. He would, you know, he had this big overcoat in the winter and it had like indoor, ins, ins, indoor pocket, inside pockets and he'd look at it and he wouldn't say anything. He'd take it, he'd fold it up, put it in his pocket. And over time, between that and Judy Pritchett was also very, very helpful, um, very helpful. She knew um, about some of these discussions and she was really helpful about um, encouraging Frankie to share details. And, and there were some dancers that I talked to that helped me think about how to approach him. And like, at one point I said, if you go to a movie, do you want like, oh, I know he didn't, he didn't, there were some stories that he felt unhappy about and he wasn't sure about sharing them. Most notably um, the time that uh, the musician that he last performed with who wouldn't play his music. And he, and it turned out it was the last time he ever performed with the Congaroos. So it was the last time he performed for decades. And they went out and they couldn't really do the show. Um, the guy, you know, they just didn't show him the respect of being a professional dancer. And we actually went to an event. That person was there. I didn't know the story at the time. I'm like, you know, oh, can you introduce me? Can you introduce us? And he didn't say anything, but it never materialized. Um, that, that just never happened. And I learned later why, I mean, he still, you know, he was not somebody to hold a grudge at all, at all, but, and he didn't speak ever in a really angry way about it, but uh, that mattered very much to him, what happened to the professional group that he was with. You know, one thing that I, I, I think also is kind of a, a revelation to people about the book is when we got the contract, we were given a word count of 94,000. So I had no idea what that meant. And um, I, I, I just had no idea if it was gonna come out to be 40,000 or 140,000. Like I had no idea, I'd never written a book before. So, and I didn't, I didn't know how long each chapter would be. So as it went along, I would keep track of the word count because, but it was, they gave me um, a mathematical formula for counting words based on the pages. So it, I don't think it was just like 250 words per page. It was a little different than that. So based on that, by the time I got towards the end, we were within the count. But then either I just, maybe I learned about word count, you know, the, the, the tool, or they told me about it. I mean, I think it was there, I just didn't know. So we did the word count and it came out to 120,000. <laughs> and, you know, what happens is, if you have a, an, or the, that doesn't take up much space when you're 
calculating based on how many pages. But in word count, that counts the same as, you know, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. So they're both a word. And so we had to really cut it down. And I, I did it by pruning a lot. Um, I was very enamored of Frankie's language and, you know, always would, you know, if he would say something, the same thing in several ways, I would always put it in there, but, you know, we had to sort of prune it down a little bit and um, got it down to about 110,000. And then, and then I just said to the publisher, I, we can't cut it down anymore. We don't know how to, because we conceived this at a certain level of detail and we'd have to cut the detail out of some places and leave it, you know, we'd have to make a decision on everything. And Jackie Malone, who's my hero, who did Jackie Malone of Stepping on the Blues. She is a great jazz dance writer. And she actually has a book coming out soon on, um, she did a really exhaustive study of chorus line dancers and she interviewed the originals and it's, it's, you know, she's a real scholar. It's it's going to be fabulous. But Ooh. anyway, she I talked to her. She had been an advisor from the beginning. Um, the 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 press, Temple University Press, had asked her to read the proposal, and she said yes, absolutely, definitely um, publish this. That you know, that's how they work. They have some advisors read it and just give them the go ahead. I knew Jackie. I had actually had her child in school, and we had gotten to be friends that way. But. Um, so I called her and said, you know, what, what do I do? And, and she actually wrote a letter to the press and said, don't make them cut anything else. This is all important. Don't make them cut. And they listened to her, which was great. I was so grateful to her and the press. So what they did, they, they had determined that part of the reason it was 94,000 words is it has to do with the price of the book. You know, it's about printing and paper. And they didn't want to make the book too expensive for dancers. So what they did was they made the margins narrower. And you know, if you, you wouldn't notice it really, but it actually is narrower than a lot of hardcover books when they come out. So um, you know, that was just all to say that the, the detail, how how deep to go was part of it. And you you love the details and the work you're doing, and I loved it too. And I think when Frankie realized that people were enjoying it, um, he actually it came out on his birthday. Um, the Yehudi guys were amazing. They engineered this worldwide sale through viral email. That's how it was done back then. And we actually got up to number, we actually got up to number six on Amazon, but that happened after I went to bed and nobody had a screenshot. So we say number seven, but it was, you know, out in California, which was amazing. I mean, it was amazing for one day, just for one day. Um, but um, so it came out then and people were reading it. We, you know, we, we had heard from the pre-readers all along that it, 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 it captured Frankie's voice. And that was, it was his voice. So <laughs> that was the best thing. Um, but he called up from Haring. He said, people, you know, are really enjoying it. And they, they like all the detail. <laughs> so I was so, I was so relieved because I thought I'll have to bear that forever if, if that didn't, you know, if people are like, oh God, we don't want to know all this stuff. In fact, I read, um, I read online, somebody complained that we didn't um, put in more about the post office. And somebody else said there wasn't enough about the um, revival, which was absolutely true. We had run out of space by then. And I, I just was like, just Frankie, just 
go over the, what you remember the most important parts. And I was thinking maybe I'll do a book later on it or somebody can, because that's all much more documented. So anyway. Well, I know that, um, like you said, I'm so thankful for the details in the book. I, I, I a lot of times joke, and it's not very much of a joke uh, from the <laughs> truth that, you know, when people, if people ask a question on swing dance history to me just because they equate me with swing dance history you know 70 percent of the time i just go into the book and look it up in the index and then tell them what the book says because like you know he covers not just his own story but so many you know what he could remember of all the other stories around him and i just we, we pre i appreciate it so much that that you that you put in all that detail that you went through all that work because he was not just telling his story he was telling the story of his generation in in lindy hop that makes me so happy to hear that you feel like that. Um, I, I think, you know, he, he, he was always very generous about talking about other people and, and, um, and also, you know, he really realized this was, this was a social dance, not just a dance, it was a social dance. And there were so many people who were part of that story and that he was nothing, you know, without them. And I, you know, I've, I mean, I think the same is so true now. I mean, if you don't have the people who put on the events, we have nothing. And if you don't have the teachers, how are we learning? And without the musicians, we have nothing to dance to. And without the new research coming up, we, you know, we, we, we don't learn anything new. And he, you know, he really had that view. And, um, you know, when he would go around and do talks and he would come back, I would always say, um, tell me the questions people asked you because I came from a dance background. I was really wanted to know about the steps and how they felt and where did they come from. And, and he, you know, for one thing, a lot of people wanted to learn about, hear more about the music. So uh, that came, my appreciation for the music came later and from dancing to it. Um, but I, I wasn't really on that. And so because of that, we developed a thread about how he learned about music. And if you recall, you know, went that period when he went into the Cotton Club and he had to actually learn how to read music and start as, as they became more professional, start communicating what their music was. Um, so, you know, that's all because people wanted that. So, um, you know, I appreciated his going around and all the great questions that people would ask. And, and the fact that people enjoyed sitting and listening to him speak really helped with that. So, and, you know, but, but I, I, um, I really, you know, we never wanted it to be the only story, you know, we, we um, never thought it should be. I, I never even considered that. Um, Norma's book has so much and such tremendous value and some perspectives that offer really a different way of thinking about some of the people and some of the events. Um, in fact, I put off reading her book for a while because I, you know, I didn't want to have like, have it be like, well, she talked more about the Harvest Moon Balls, for example, and I didn't want to think, well, okay, now we need to go do that. I wanted to let it be what Frankie remembered. Um, and, you know, she, of course, as we all know, had a very uh, different perspective on Whitey, which I think really helps balance out the picture to Frankie's relationship with him. Um, and, um, you know, there's really a lot on, on dance and jazz music. A lot of the jazz music books help understand what happened, sometimes because there are similar experiences. Um, you know, the musicians, like the dancers, 
they had similar issues with the theaters they were performing in or when they when they toured in the south or when they went to europe they so you can really get a lot of the um idea of what it was like by by reading those kinds of books too and i'm i'm you know looking forward to seeing the canon of research really um build 